I'd made the mistake that a lot of indie hackers make of spending too much time building things without actually putting them out in the wild, investing too much time in a product, losing hope in it and giving up. But for the majority of the time, I spend probably about a day a week on it. And I go through spurts where I focus more on it, where I try things out to grow it quicker. But most of the time, I'm just updating the content on it. That's what's impacted the growth the most. The more content I add to the site, the more it grows, the more people find it. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bytes, the podcast where I bring you stories from fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. In this episode, we have Rami Kafash, who is the founder of PageFlows, which is a directory of user flow examples that Rami now makes a full-time income from. What's interesting about this is that Rami only works about a day a week on PageFlows and spends the rest of his time indie hacking. Before we find out about how Rami spends the rest of his time, I'd like to quickly thank Weekend Club for sponsoring Indie Bytes. Weekend Club is a friendly, remote community of indie hackers who have deep working sessions every Saturday to get our tasks done and stay accountable. It's perfect for me as a solo founder for meeting other like-minded bootstrappers to get advice, feedback and to keep making progress on my side projects. If you join, I've got a promo code for you. 50% off your first month, weekendclub.co and enter IndieBytes as your code. If you do join, I'll see you on Saturday. Let's get back to Rami's story. Rami, welcome to the podcast. How are you, dude? I'm good, James. I'm really glad to be here. Rami, I've, I've just written in my notes here. You're living the dream as a solo founder of, if you, if you ask a question on Indie Hackers, what's everyone's dream? It would be, oh, I want a, my own business that is making money and more time to spend on my side projects. Is that dream all it's made out to be? Yes, it, it's absolutely amazing. I do love it. It allows me to travel, to move, to live wherever I want. Uh, and I'm not really worried about having to get a job anytime soon or anything. But there are some downsides too. The main downside for me has been self-doubt, not really knowing what to do next. I guess doubting every decision I make and comparing myself to others. Although if you asked me like five years ago, would I be happy in this scenario? The answer would be absolutely yes. But now, you know, I'm running this business. It's making a decent amount of money. I look at all the other indie hackers who have way more success. I'm just thinking it took me way longer to get where I am than where they are. And they're yeah. way ahead of me. So there is that aspect too. Yeah, well, I really think comparison is a thief of joy so often when uh, a lot of indie hackers are doing some amazing things, but they'll see someone that might have more resource or they might get genuinely a bit luckier. And you look at them and you you think, oh, my product's not as good as that, or I'll never be able to get there. There's an element of, of jealousy maybe, but you can't look at that. You need to focus on your wins and celebrate your wins and what you're doing. And I think that's where the Indie Hacks community is really useful. You set out at the start of the year to do six startups in six months. How did that go for you? And why did you set out to do that? I set out to do that because I was in a bit of a creative rut at the time. I'd been experimenting with a bunch of side projects. I wasn't really going anywhere. And I'd made the mistake that a lot of indie hackers make of spending too much time building things without actually putting them out in the wild, investing too much time in a product, losing hope in it and giving up. So I wanted to rebuild that creative muscle, get myself shipping again and, and get out of that creative rut. My main focus with that was, you know, one, to get out of the creative rut and two, to kind of learn about new markets and meet interesting people. In terms of that success criteria, I think it went really well. ScreenJar was one of the projects that came out of that. And that led to a bunch of interesting conversations with founders I've been looking up to for years. And it is something I recommend for founders who are in a creative rut. 
and don't really know what to build. Do you think of a lot of founders and indie hackers end up just working on one thing for too long and grinding away at something that may not necessarily be a success? I, th- I think one of the things that a lot of founders in my position suffer from is a lack of conviction. So a lot of people say they don't have any ideas to work on, but obviously there are tons of ideas out there, but it's just hard to get conviction behind an idea. So a lot of times we spend time building something, we don't really have conviction in it, so we keep adding features and building on top of it and perfecting it, even though we're not really sure if it's going to add any value. So I think adding a time uh, a time limit to how long you spend on building something if you don't really have conviction behind it is super valuable. What, what was your first dip into entrepreneurship or founding your own companies, making money on the side? Probably about 2011, 2012, I actually followed the regular startup path and with a friend started a small startup, raised a bit of money, tried to go the whole raising more money and going big type of uh, path. And that ended up not really working out, but it was a super fun experience. After that, I realized that the business we built there actually could have probably sustained the two of us as founders. And it definitely wasn't big enough or ever going to get big enough to give uh, venture capitalists a return on their money. And in your eyes, what's the benefits of going down the bootstrap route or being a solo founder versus venture capital? The main benefit for me is that it's much more feasible. I think it's just way easier and more likely to build a business that makes five to 10K a month versus something that makes, you know, billions of dollars a year. And the other thing is there's just way less people to answer to, uh, way less stressful. There's a lot of talk in the, the venture backed startup scene where People talk about you having to work crazy hours for many years and like, you know, there's things you baby and I'll have to have friends, all, all that sort of stuff. And it's just, it's not the route I want to go down. Whereas with the kind of bootstrapping indie hacker thing, you can have a bit more of a life while trying to build a smaller business. Yeah, I think a lot of people will say a very similar thing, especially in the indie hackers community. It was interesting when I was speaking to Cortland a few episodes ago, he was saying we've actually seen a bit of a blurring the lines between bootstrapping and and venture capital, where we've got Tiny and Ernest and these venture funds that uh, support indie makers, support their salary or give them time to take off work. So they give that money for living expenses and they're not expecting a bigger return on investment. And that's good to see. So let's talk about page flows, which is, I guess, the breadwinner for you at the moment. It's what's making the money. How did that start out? The idea for page flows came through a different side project that I worked on initially, which was a simple newsletter that featured UI design animations, essentially. And once I launched that newsletter, it actually gained more traction than any of the other side projects I worked on. But it wasn't really making any money. There was no kind of business path around that. So a year into that, I asked some of the subscribers, what could I build that you'd be interested in paying for? And I know now that probably isn't a good question to ask, Mm. but it actually led to some decent answers. The only common theme that came back from that was that people liked the newsletter, but they wanted to see more realistic UI design inspiration. And that's where the idea for PageFlows came about, essentially. Well, I think what you sort of did with the newsletter is you got validation for the need for UI inspiration, especially for people like you who are technical people who take an interest in design and you want to see a bank of examples of people doing it really well. So in terms of page flows, you stop sharing revenue numbers on it, but it does sustain you. It is something that pays you enough to be a full-time indie hacker, which we'll also talk about in just a second. What is it in your own words? So essentially it's a library of uh, videos of me going through the user flows of popular products. So imagine 
something like Slack, the onboarding flow, the upgrade flow, the downgrade flow. And the reason people pay to access those videos is uh, product designers at tech companies, they're always designing new user flows or improving their own user flows. And they just sign up to see the best practices and you know, look for things that might be missing in their own user flows. But how much time are you now spending on building it and growing it? And how, how much effort do you have to put in to keep page flows going? It varies throughout the year, but for the majority of the time, I spend probably about a day a week on it. And I go through spurts where I focus more on it, where I try things out to grow it quicker. But most of the time, I'm just updating the content on it. That's what's impacted the growth the most. The more content I add to the site, the more it grows, the more people find it. Okay, so you touched upon the more content you add to it, the more users you get, the more people see that. And that's a trend that you've been seeing. Why have you seen that as a trend? So the reason I think directories and, and kind of content businesses are so valuable, especially for indie hackers like myself, who are trying to build quite small businesses, is that the product essentially markets itself. So I'll, I'll use PageFlows as the example. A lot of people find PageFlows when they search for things like Monzo onboarding, some other user flow for a specific app or product. And every time I add a new product, that's another opportunity for someone to find in the search results, essentially. Another great example of this is Nomad List. Mm. So, you know, if, if you're trying to figure out like what's, where's the best city to work from or what's the best city with the fastest internet, et cetera, I'm sure Nomad List will come up for a ton of those search results. So the more content added on that site, the more people will find it. So like actually building the product is part of the marketing itself. Why do you think that most developers or indie hackers will try to set up a SaaS company versus doing a directory business? It just seems more exciting. I'm exactly the same. I run page flows, but I work on other side projects and SaaS is always so appealing because just the concept of building a software product, getting it to a good point where it's providing value and putting it out into the world and then getting recurring revenue forever just seems amazing. From my experience, I've found it to be much more complicated and much more difficult than that. But just the concept alone of recurring revenue from software just is so incredibly attractive as a concept and it's hard to not be tempted. With page flows, I noticed on your site, you only have a three-month option or a one-year one year option. Yeah. Why is it you set price in, like, how do you avoid churn? Yeah, so churn is a little bit of a problem, and it all depends on why people sign up in the first place. So some people sign up because they work at a design agency or they work at a product company as a designer themselves, and they're always looking for inspiration in terms of user flows and design. Where some people sign up because they're working on a project for one time and they're looking for a very specific type of user flow example. So they'll sign up, they'll get what they need and then they'll cancel out. And I guess that that's part of the reason of why I've split them into the buckets of three months, a year, instead of having a monthly plan, because it means that people pay for at least three months worth of mm. value. Whereas for a month, I'd probably charge something like 10 or 20 bucks a month. And then that kind of wouldn't be really with the time in terms of revenue, whereas people are happy to pay for three months, even if they just use it once, if they get that value. But it just seems seems like better value to pay for three months instead of paying 40 bucks for one month. Have you thought about doing a credit system at all where people can unlock the ones they want to? I, I've absolutely thought about that. Some people have said they'd be happy to pay that. I just haven't experimented with that yet. That is definitely something I'll I should definitely experiment with, and I probably will at some point. And so you, you only really spend a day or two on this a week. What's the rest of your time spent doing, Rami? 
it's been a waste of probably a couple of years trying to experiment with other products, to be honest with you. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not sure you can ever say it's a waste. Um, it's been a learning experience, let's say. You're, you're making your money through something. And so how you choose to spend that other time, it's all learning. Absolutely. I mean, I just sometimes I look back on those two years and think like I could have just been contracting and made, and made, and made a pile of money. Mm. But I have learned a lot. But essentially, most of the time I've been exploring other options for new products to build. And some things have gone reasonably well with that and most haven't, but it has been super interesting. I've met tons of interesting people through that. And yeah, that's essentially what I continue to do. I, I spend about a day on page flows and for the rest of the week I'm working on other kind of side businesses. Yeah. What, what other things have you got to know? Is there anything you're working on at the moment or anything you're looking into in the future? So one of the main things I've been working on recently is a, a SaaS tool called ScreenJar, which is a simple tool that makes it easy for people who work in customer support to request screen recordings from their customers. And while that's going reasonably okay, it's got a couple of happy paying customers. I've been struggling to grow that. And I guess that's a reason I've been revisiting the concept of kind of directory site and research as a service, because I think I have some like better ideas in those markets. And even if they don't end up becoming decent businesses, putting that content out there and getting that kind of traffic is going to be valuable in the future one way or another. And another trend we see or, or, or something that happens a lot in the indie hackers community is people sharing revenue numbers, building in public, being transparent. Now, when I read some of your previous interviews, the starter story, you were given revenue numbers, but now you've opted not to do that. I think I've seen a lot more people start to stop sharing their, their numbers why is it that you stopped doing that yeah I, there's no massive reason as to why i stopped sharing revenue i just realized that there wasn't really much benefit in it one of the main fears i think indie hackers are starting to have now is competitors and, and, and kind of copycat mm. businesses and that was one of my concerns with page flows and i think as if your customers are indie hackers uh, or like our maker types then sharing your revenue probably is a good way to get some attention in those markets but if your customers aren't indie hackers, then there's not, there's not really any value in, in sharing your revenue, as far as I can tell. Yeah, inwardly and selfishly, yes. But I also think a lot of people share their numbers for the community that has given so much back to them. But Rami, this has been a really fantastic chat. I'm going to finish off on some quick fire questions. Sure. <clears throat> What's your favorite book, your favorite podcast, and who's the best indie hacker to follow in your opinion? Interesting. So I guess favorite book, I loved reading Hatching Twitter. I love that book. But it was just such a good book. Favorite podcast is the Indie Hackers podcast, of course. Mm. Another non-Indie Hacker related one I like is Science Versus. So that's one. Okay. Favorite Indie Hacker to follow. Peter Levels from Nomad, Nomad List is an obvious one. I also think Cortland from Indie Hackers has done an incredible job. So he's a great one to follow. Well, thank you so much for joining. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Indie Bites. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does help the podcast grow. If you want to find any links or references from this episode, check the show notes at IndieBytes.co. 